exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irity Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the unbreakable Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Females are strong, Shag. <laughs> I was telling my friend the other night, I'm like, I need more Kimmy Schmidt. I love Damn that it. show. You know what someone has done? You got I don't. I don't remember what you, what it's called, but um, they've taken the Kimmy Schmidt theme and they've laced it with scenes from Mad Max, the new Mad Max movie. Right, right. It's apparently lots of fun. I mean, I watched it with a buddy of mine there. It is pretty funny, but I haven't seen Mad Max, so I didn't. I guess I didn't connect with it as well. But oh, it was okay. pretty funny. I mentioned. But, uh, I, I'm sorry. I mentioned on Facebook a couple weeks ago that I thought that what's her name, uh, Ellie Kemper, would make a great bad girl. And then I was talking to nuclear nuclear sub David Ace Gutierrez, and he said she would make a great Mary Marvel. Hmm. And I was like, that's even way better than Batgirl. She would be a perfect Mary Marvel. Wow. You know, if they ever okay. did a Captain Marvel movie, that would – or the, well, they are doing they one. They are I guess. doing a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, get her to be Mary Marvel. That would be killer. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Uh, speaking of viral videos, my favorite right now, if you haven't seen it, folks, it's Google Redneck Adventures. <laughs> oh, Redneck say, Avengers, yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny. I showed it to my wife tonight. Oh, we laughed so hard. And then we watched The Walking Dead one. Oh, my God. With the, with the song. It's so funny. Oh, my gosh. All right. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Folks, we are going to do another one of our favorite installments here called Whatever Happened To where we cover the backup stories from DC Comics Presents. Rob and I have had a blast doing these. I think this is our third installment. Yes. Okay. So um, you know, in the show notes, maybe we'll put links back to the previous episodes so you can follow those. But before we get to all that, folks, we are going to give a big shout-out to our sponsor. Our thanks to InStock Trades. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? I am going with Dr. Midnight, trade paperback by Matt Wagner and John K. Snyder. This is the adventures of a new Dr. Midnight named Pieter Cross. 
Uh, I have not read this thing yet. I can't believe it because I like Matt Wagner and I really like John K. Snyder. I don't know what my problem is. I got to order this. It's 160 pages. Normal price $14.99. In stock trades price is $8.24. That's nothing. That's 45% off. That looks fantastic. And the cover is great. It's a super grim shot of Dr. Midnight with his uh, with a hoodie or whatever the name of the owl. I think it's <laughs> uh, It just looks super cool. I love the, even the logo. It looks really neat. So pick that up. $8.24. Can't beat it. The, it's John K. Schneider. Is that the artist's name? Yes, dude. It, I, you know, I don't know what he's doing nowadays, but at that point, he was firing on all. Yeah, I love his stuff. Yeah, and I, I bought this miniseries as it came out. I love, love, love. It. Oh, you know who's in it? The creepy unholy three, or whatever they're called. Oh, Abner Gazar, Wrath and Gast. No, no. Um, oh. The the three detective comics villains like the Crow, the Fox, the oh, the terrible trio. Terrible trio. That's it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, I like that even better. Yeah. Than I, I gotta pick this up. Yep. It's. I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough because obviously, yeah, Matt Wagner, John K. Schneider, freaking Doctor Midnight. I mean, it's oh, so good. All right. Um, my uh, my Instar Trades one is Showcase presents The Atom Volume Two. So this collects the Atom issues eighteen through thirty eight and stories from Atom and Hawkman. That's when the two books combined. Uh, issues thirty nine through forty five. And the reason I picked them is um, because this features two team ups between Ray Palmer Atom with the Golden Age uh, Al Pratt Atom. And uh, issues covers issues twenty nine and thirty six in there where they teamed up with the Golden Age Atoms where you had the two Atoms together. And uh, by the way, this is five hundred twenty eight pages. It's black and white. You can get it normally for sixteen ninety nine. You get it for forty five percent off right now. So that's only nine dollars and thirty four cents for five hundred pages of Adam goodness. So, and if um, these two uh, in stock trades picks aren't any indication of where we're going with this, folks, we'll figure <laughs> it out soon enough. But please head over to in stock trades and pick those up or other great books. And again, um, go up to the contact us button, tell them that Fire and Water podcast sent you, and you made a purchase. That would uh, it helps out just to remind them that uh, their sponsorship is well-placed here. So, again, our thanks to InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, other collections, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So, uh, we are going to tackle DC Comics Presents number 29 and DC Comics Presents number 30. Uh, Mr. Kelly, I think you've got the – and well, again, just a reminder, we're just doing the backups. We're not actually covering the front end of the story. You should check out the DC Comics Presents show podcast if you want to hear more coverage of the, the front end of the book. So, Rob, why don't we go ahead and jump right in? Yeah, this is DC Comics Presents number 29, which is cover dated January 1981. The backup story, the whatever happened to it, is Dr. Midnight. Uh, the cover mm-hmm. The cover for this issue, I do have to mention, it's a Jim Starlin, Superman and the Spectre. It's a great, just crazy, what the F kind of like <laughs> Roger Dean album cover kind of thing from, you know, the, the, the Yes, Heyday or whatever, or Led Zeppelin or something like that. It's just super cool. I love it. And uh, I, we should cover this story at some point, the actual main story, because it's, it's a lot of fun. But we're not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about whatever happened to, in this case, which is whatever happened to Dr. Midnight, written by Bob Rosakis, drawn by Alex Saviak and Joe Giella. Uh, letterer Shelley Lefferman, colorist Jerry Serpe, and of course Julia Schwartz is the editor. Now, unlike a couple of the other whatever happened to's fore and aft, uh, this Dr. Midnight had not gone away. Uh, in fact, he had just been in a couple of issues of JLA a couple of months before this was published. So this is, I don't know, I'm going to say breaking the mold, but it's just a little different in that this is this is not a, the, the return of a long-forgotten character. Dr. Midnight had 
you know, basically been regularly appearing in JLA and All-Star comics for a while here. But anyway, the story opens in the hospital that Dr. Charles McKnighter just happens to work at, and he is busting up a gang of hooded criminals that are here to steal some narcotics, as uh, the narrator puts it, uh, in search of free samples. So uh, Dr. Midnight takes these guys out, and he reveals through his thought balloons that he is slowly losing all of his vision. He's becoming, yes, he's becoming totally blind, even in the dark, which was like his whole MO was that he could see in the dark. But uh, his vision is, is, is fading, fading fast. So he pretends he runs the cops show up and he hands the guys over. And then he mentions that uh, he disappears before he has a chance to you know, make the connection that there's a blind doctor. And there also happens to be a blind superhero. Nobody knows that Dr. Midnight is blind, so he has to pretend that he can see. And he talks about – he says, it's evident that now my infrared goggles are failing, even cutting off my natural night vision. That can be the end of my career as Dr. Midnight, unless I get help from my old friend and ophthalmologist, Dr. Gordon Ogilvy. And then we cut across town to Dr. Gordon Ogilvy, who is uh, with a patient named Tim, who looks a lot like Matt Murdock. You think? I mean, a lot like Matt Murdock. Wearing a red shirt and red glasses? Red shirt, red glasses. So anyway, he tells his patient that he is working on these new kinds of glasses that can basically give the blind uh, a sort of you know night vision where you can make out shadows and you can see one panel that he, you know with the uh, that this guy Tim who's blind can make out basic shapes and stuff. It's a lot like uh, radar vision to me. Yes, it does. Yeah, this is this is <laughs> yeah. You spill, spill some chemicals on his face. So anyway, <laughs> while he's examining the guy, he gets a call from Dr. McNider. He tells Tim, you know, no, no, you can't have the glasses. They're not done yet. I'm still working on them. Tim, who is a murderous sort, just decides, I need to have those glasses tonight. He picks up a cane, smacks the doctor, Dr. Ogilvy, on the head with it, and kills him while he's talking on the phone to Dr. McNider. So Tim, Tim is not a master criminal uh, that we've established. So Dr. Uh, Charles McNider hears this. He goes and investigates Dr. Midnight. He finds out his old friend is now dead. And he says, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the case. So he heads out into the city. He goes to a bar in, quote, the seedier part of town, which is a great shot of all these people, which really doesn't look like that bad of a place. It really no. – it looks like an Applebee's. I mean, it's really not on the way it looks so bad. <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Charles McNider sits down. He hears these two roughs discussing their friend Tim. And he mentions that Tim has a bet with them that he can steal this valuable statue uh, from, from this guy named Potter who's a senator, Senator Potter. And uh, it's a bet that, it's, that, a, that he's going to be able to do it even though he's blind. And McNair's like, huh, blind man? Well, one of Ogilvy's special glasses could do it. Potter's statue. That must be referring to dot, dot, dot. Now, as the two guys continue to argue, he says, uh, I hear a blind guy got special powers. The rest of his ain't. And the other guy says, really? Let's ask Tin Cup that came in. <laughs> he calls him I Tin Cup. I love they call him Tin Cup. Very nice. And he turned around and Dr. McNider is gone. He, so he, uh, Dr. Midnight pulled a whole Batman thing there, disappearing in the middle of the night. So anyway, Dr. Midnight shows up to Senator Potter's house. He, I, I got to say real quick. The guy's name's B.J. Potter. Yeah. You think that's like a MASH reference? You know, I never thought of that, but you're right. B.J. and Potter. That, that's, yeah. You know, in, in 1980? I mean, just yeah, seems maybe. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, I should I should ask Barbara Zakis that. That's that's a good. I can't believe I didn't even think of that, but you're right. So anyway, inside the mansion, we see Tim, and he is looking around for this valuable statue. He runs afoul of Doctor Midnight. They get into a fight. Uh, Doctor Midnight thinks to pull out his blackout bomb, but he realizes he says, that's really not going to help because this guy can see better in the dark than I can. 
They uh, go back and forth. Doctor Doctor Midnight says Gordy told me special glasses work like sonar, seeing shapes rather than actually seeing. So he figures out a way to pull a trap on Tim by pulling his cape onto a statue. Tim attacks the statue, thinking it's Doctor Midnight, and basically just breaks his hands by punching it as hard as he can. Uh, Senator Potter comes in with his candelabra and he's like, what's going on here? And he says, it's all over, Senator Potter. I suggest you call Lieutenant Burke at police headquarters and tell him to pick up Dr. Ogilvy's murderer. And while he's, while we see Tim there smarting with his bruised hands, two days later at the funeral, Dr. Ogilvy is being buried and he realizes that, uh, Dr. Midnight feels bad that the glasses, which could have helped millions of people are gone forever because the, you know, Ogilvy is gone. But he says, so unfortunately, it will only work with someone with my particular turnabout vision, able to see in the dark, but not in the light. So, Dr. Midnight's career will be able to continue on as a superhero. And that is the end of our story. Woo! <laughs> now, okay, what I'm going to say about this story is I like it. I, okay. like, I like the story a lot. It's got a just kind of looniness to it. First of all, again, these stories are only eight pages. Mm-hmm. So they just don't have time for anything that resembles normal human behavior. Everybody just has to do everything super fast because they have to because there's just no time. Right. Um, it has a real pulpy feel to it of just uh, full of lowlifes and people murdering each other for no good reason. But the thing that undoes it, and I hate to say this, is the art. Uh, I like Alex Saviak, and I have sort of made apologies for him before Frank has taken me to task on this show. For, for saying that Alex Saviak is a much better artist and he just got stuck with lousy inkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going on here. But this story needs to have like some grit and some kind of like mystery tones to it. And it doesn't. It doesn't have any of that. Unfortunately, I just feel like Joe Giella made all of whatever, whoever he was co- inking, he made it all look like coloring books. And so mm-hmm. this story just has no atmosphere at all. And it needs to have one because it fits that, it's that tone. It, you know, it's again, it's Doctor Midnight in, in in this world of low lifes. I feel like it needs to have some sort of pulpy feel, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. So, it's I like the story a lot, but art wise, it just doesn't quite work. And I I, I do put a lot of that on the inker though, because um, I like Savick as well. I think yeah. this. I think it could have been better. I mean, there's certain shots that are really nice and certain staging where, you know, the guy's sneaking up behind the guy in the phone and in the shadowy scene. And it looks like, you know, the penciled work probably works well. And like you said, if they, if they had done more atmosphere with the inking, it probably could have pulled it through, but I don't know. I, uh, to me, this reads very much like a daredevil story from either the sixties or the early seventies. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, you know, it's... Because well, it, saying... it features Daredevil. <laughs> well, and I don't mean it because of that. That right. pro- is probably what triggered the memory. But just sort of the, like you said, everyone's doing things because they have to. It's got to move the story along. You know, the hero is, you know, big and bold. And he's got a challenge. and He's got some sort of challenge in front of him that's making him weaker. Yet he overcomes it. And, you know, and it outsmarts the, the bad guy and still beats him up too. And it's like, you know, it just, I don't know, it felt like Daredevil to me. But uh, I, it cracks me up. That when he went in disguise into that, you know, tough bar, where he, he literally comes in with a tin cup. Like, he yeah. was a panhandler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that when they call him tin cup, it's even funnier. It's like, oh, my gosh. And then he, Dr. Midnight, or Charles McNider, he's a bit of a dick. Because, you know, in this scene where the cops are there, right, and the cops are going, nothing was stolen. And in his mind, he's going, except for those super secret glasses. Why the hell doesn't he tell the cops? <laughs> Why does that have to remain a secret unless he's greedy enough to want them for himself? 
because that's the whole reason why he contacted the doctor in the first place, you know? So, and then, um, and, you know, what a coincidence that the one time he calls the doctor is the moment the guy gets murdered, right? Anyway. Yeah, Tim is not a great criminal that he doesn't think he maybe waits until the guy just gets off the friggin' phone to kill him. <laughs> and at the end, you said the glasses are gone forever. The glasses aren't gone. McKnighter has them. And he's, and, well, and, I don't and, mean the glasses, the formula. He says oh, the okay. formula. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's just funny because, like, you know, they're really trying to point out, like, because clearly these glasses could help all the blind people in the world, right? Right? You know, and so they're like, uh, it'll only work for me, and I'm like, why? Why was it only work for you? It worked for Tim five minutes ago. Why is it only going to work for you now? You know, it's like so mm, a little bit of <laughs> little little dodge and weave there, I think. But As we've anyway. seen in other JSA stories, many times Justice Society members make very rash decisions. Whether it would be Sandman <laughs> burying his his partner in a stasis chamber without his the ability to speak and never telling any members of his team about this like, rather forty years. Yeah, so a lot of these JSAers just make decisions that are very arbitrary. Uh, I mean, there's two there's two pages here that are all done in in you know in the the, the senator's house. They're all done in blues. Yeah, the colors was on the job, which are really nice. And like I can't, I can't help but think like what like somebody like Don Newton might have done with this because mm. Don Don Newton could really do atmosphere. I mean, he did. There's a there's an issue of Adventure Comics where that he drew for I drew uh, the Aquaman strip where Aquaman is sneaking into this place in the middle of the night and he grabs this card. And it's actually a pretty moody sequence. And it's hard to make Aquaman look moody mm-hmm. because of that costume. But he did because Don Newton was just so good at it. So I can only imagine, like, man, this might have, like, really been killer if they had just sort of bothered to get a decent combination of, of arts artists on this. But, mm. you know, so instead, it's, to me, it's, it's like, I don't want to say it's a swing and a miss because I still like the story because I said it's just got this grim ridiculousness to it but i just feel like man it really could have been like kind of like list the last episode we did where we talked about the johnny thunder story how much we love that like with yeah. a little buried little gem in the back of dc Comics yeah. presents i feel like that could have been this had they you know gotten somebody a yeah. little better now i will compliment though and then i think this is the work of alex salviak in the first panel like you mentioned when he goes into the bar and it, you know he's literally got the tin cup Mm-hmm. I love all the detailed characters that Alex drew here because on the left-hand side, you see one guy just sort of hunched over mm-hmm. like he's drunk. There's another guy with a bottle just drinking straight out of the bottle. And then on the far right, there's like a, a, a waitress with a low-cut top, and there's a guy like massaging her shoulders. Oh, yeah, I noticed so that. So it's like all, all these little like, you know, yeah, this is kind of a seedy place. I, I like all, that little, <laughs> all those little details. So Very well lit. If it did have a fern, though, I would think Applebee's. And it is she very is, well lit, yeah. She is hot. I'll give you that. She so. is. I agree with that. Wow. You heard it, everyone. Rob yeah. said it. So Like those Spanish girls. <laughs> you know, I, got, I wonder, you know, when um, w- was part of the reason for the backups, was it like, remember we always heard, like, who's who part of that was to, by putting the names on the covers, was to maintain the uh, copyright. You know, and we, I don't know if we ever got validation on that or not. But I wonder if part of the reason to do these backups was to make sure they could keep the character, you know, like, copyright on it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, we should have, I know we talked to Bob Rosakis, and we'll, we'll mention him again in this episode in terms of getting some, some quotes from him. But, uh, yeah, I think we, we talked to him a little bit about this feature, but I don't know if we ever asked him about exactly why this started. I think part of it was they said they just wanted to find viable characters and just to see, you know, maybe somebody will strike a chord oh, yeah. you know, with, a, yeah. with, the, with the audience again. So they're trying different people. But, again, this is, this is kind of a unique one to try because Dr. Midnight, like I said, had not been, had not been away at all. I mean, well, you know, in the very first episode we did, we had Iron Man. Same situation. Yeah. 
I mean, pretty much yeah. our man hadn't gone away either. Yeah. So, so. Uh, they, I guess they maybe they figured, you know, change it up a little. Have some people that were more obscure. I mean, the Johnny Thunder one was certainly very obscure. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one. But this one's pretty pretty straightforward. I, I'm, I think the next character is around probably as much as Dr. Midnight. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Ready to move on? I think we're ready to move on. Okay, folks. Next one is coming from DC Comics Presents number 30. If you're following with your math, you probably figured that one was coming. Uh, it's got a gorgeous cut. Gorgeous cover by Rick Buck- Buckler. Oh my gosh, it's so nice. It's um the the lead feature in the story, which we're not going to get into, that was Superman and Black Canary versus Doctor Destiny. So you know that's good. And then our character recovering is the Golden Age Adam. Woohoo! And he's in his sort of uh, was uh, nu- nuclear costume <laughs> where he's got the fin on his head and the atomic symbol and all that stuff. But anyway, he's in the bottom right hand corner by Rich by Rick Buckler, and it looks so... Rich, is it Rich Buckler or Rick Buckler? It's Rich, right? Rich. Yeah, by Rich Buckler, and it looks so good. So, I love this cover. They're fighting demons. I love stuff. the drooling bat demons. <laughs> Who doesn't love a drooling bat demon? I mean, come on. So, this co- this story, folks, <laughs> this one is a little <laughs> weird. Um, it, it feels very Bob Haney. This is uh, definitely hashtag Zany Rosakis. I mean, it's... Well, should we cover it? Should we talk about uh, Bob's quote? How do you want to do this? We... Let's wait till we get to, the, okay. to, to right. the, the the crazy part in question. Okay. So whatever happened to the Golden Age Adam? Again, I mentioned this appeared in DC Comics Presents number 30. Cover dated February 1981. However, if you want to get on your cosmic treadmill and go back and pick up a brand new spanking copy of this and just feel the, cricket, you know, the paper crunch and the smell it. Mm, love that ink. You could find it on the shelves on November 11th, 1980 on Veterans Day. You really know how to paint a picture. I, I tell you. I'm a painter. That's me. I'm an artiste. So our thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics uh, for that date. All right. So this is a Bob Rosakis, Alex Saviak, Vince Coletta, and Julie Schwartz joint. Um, also, I guess since you did, I should mention Jerry Serpion Colors, Milt... Uh, Snappin'. Snappin'? Okay, I'll let her... name. <laughs> it's Milt Snappin'. That's a monster name if I ever heard one. <laughs> He's in business. Anyway, uh, so, all right, whatever happened to the Golden Age Adam? So, the first thing right out of the gate, I gotta say, is in the, in the little recap at the top, he... Al Pratt has gone on to become a nuclear physicist? <laughs> really? Al Pratt, the guy who was the first to jump into a fight, who I don't remember ever being particularly scholastic. I mean, I know he was always in college in Calvin City, like eternally in college in Calvin City, but apparently eternally in college transferred to him being a professor in college. So I don't know. I had a hard time buying that. So, all right. So we get into it. Him and his wife, uh, Al and his wife, they're in their civilian identity here, and they've been out for the evening, and they're heading back to the house, and he's telling her, saying, you know what, honey, your astrological prediction was wrong. I know you thought there was going to be trouble today, but nope, it was, it was a good day, and you know, I even wore my itchy costume underneath my clothes, <laughs> just for you, sweetie. They get in the house, and they have been burglared, dun, dun, dun. and it turns out the burglar is still in the house. So Al uh, quickly rips off, the, rips off his civilian uh, clothes, throws on the co- or pulls the hood up onto the costume, and goes up and exchanges a couple blows with one of the criminals. A uh, guy gets a lucky blow in on him, actually. Then while he's taking that guy out, he finds out there's another criminal who sneaks out the front door and gets away. So you get a bit of a chase, right? So uh, Adam is chasing the guy. Right as he gets up to the guy, he's about to hit him, and he hits some weird force field-like thing. And he's like, Bzz, ah! And <laughs> here's where the wheels go off the wagon, folks. Um, suddenly the scene changes, and you're dealing with this 
cosmic level entity sitting in like a Mitron type chair with a sombrero in the back, maybe? I'm not sure. Anyway, he's an overweight, heavyset guy with black hair and a black Van Dyke, and he's got on a suit, a black suit with like a red cravat, and he's just chilling, and and he's talking directly to the reader. And he goes, forgive this interruption, gentle reader, but the effect you have just witnessed is my doing. I am Marlo, <laughs> keeper of the cosmic balance. And I, and what I have done will spare parallel universes from a disastrous fate. I'm just going to keep going. Two parallel worlds, which you are known as Earth 1 and Earth 2, are the homes of numerous superheroes with similarly powered counterparts on each world. The sole exception is a pair of atoms, and it is their lack of parallelism is that a word? In their powers, which upset the cosmic balance. Therefore, I have caused a brief exchange of their powers to restore the equilibrium of the cosmos. And then we cut right back to the story. We get three panels of Mallow, right? WTF. We cut back, and now the Atom is swimming in a lake in Calvin City. He's like, I don't remember a lake in Calvin City. And he climbs out of the lake, and there's these enormous giant barrels next to him that are red with, with holes in the top. What? And then there's a dog the size of, like, 15 elephants high, like, ah! And he realizes he has shrunk down to really small size, like um, like Ray Palmer he knows from the parallel Earth. He's like, oh, what's going on? I wonder if I have a size-controlling belt just like um, Ray. He does. Okay, so he goes home, and he's like, gosh, honey, I don't know what's going on, but I've got Ray's powers. And um, it's it's just nuts. I mean, there's... There's no rhyme or reason for him to get race powers, guys, other than that Mallow guy decided to do it. And now it just becomes a goofy adventure where he's goofing around with, with race powers. He decides to go chase after this burglar, right? So he shrinks back down, and he goes into a perfect scale model airplane, toy airplane, and flies it up in the air. <laughs> so his wife's like, bye, honey. And he's flying around the neighborhood in a fake plane. Like maybe, I don't know if it's gas powered or something, but, you know, flying around the neighborhood, sees the criminal who, in all this time, it's probably been a half hour, has just hidden behind some trash can. <laughs> Couldn't have gotten in a car and driven away. Apparently he planned on carrying this bag over his shoulder the whole way through the neighborhood when he robbed their house. Anyway, he sees him and he dive bobs him with his little plane. Bzzz, so the guy holds up a trash can lid and knocks him down. So uh, Al then leaps off of the plane and takes a swing at the guy, eventually figures out how to use all of his, you know, atomic might or you know, the whole idea where you, you get really small and really dense and you punch with a proportionate strength of a human, but you're just, you know, you know, where you really hit him hard and knocks the guy out. And then right as he knocks the guy out, he returns to full size and we get a cutscene of Mallow again. Normal. Yes, gentle reader. That is the status of the parallel universes again. Neither of the two atoms shall ever know what caused the power switch. It will remain our little secret. And that's it. And then Al's like, I don't know what happened. It was pretty cool, though. I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed having slide shrinking powers. Uh, and she says, uh, basically, she goes, honey, I did my astral, my star charts, and yesterday things seemed out of whack. But today, everything seems just right. And, uh, and, and that's the end. <laughs> they have a nice little happy moment. And uh, I'm trying to read the joke at the end. Next thing you'll be saying, there's someone out there whose job it is to do just that, meaning create the cosmic balance. And that's the end of that one, folks. WTF? Seriously? This Mallow guy? Out of nowhere. And well, you, you say your bit, Rob, and then I'll come back into this. Go ahead. Well, I contacted Bob uh, Rizakis to ask him, what the hell? <laughs> uh, because, I mean, this guy shows up. I looked him up on Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Mallow has never appeared again. 
Thank goodness. This is his one and only appearance. So I asked Bob, and he, I, and he said, uh, I basically just said, Bob, what the hell is with this Mallow guy? And he, and I said, it's a very Haney-esque you know, plot contrivance. <laughs> you actually and called it out? I Haney? did. I did. <laughs> and he said, I had plans to use him again. I think I did in one other story, though I don't recall which one. But I never had the chance. In retrospect, you're right. He was a very Bob Haney-ish addition, but hey, it made for an entertaining story. And that it did. Because yes. it is, it's just, it's just craziness. I mean, it's just, I mean, this guy kind of looks like a combination of like Marv Wolfman and Anton LaVey with like a little Michael Bailey thrown in. I mean, it's just like, it's, and he's so sort of jovial about like just being like, yeah, what the hell? This is what Earth Meyer, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this is what we lost in the crisis. This is kind of just craziness. And some people will say that's a good thing. But I just sort of like getting this little history lesson again from this guy of like, oh, yeah, here's the parallel worlds and here's, you know, Superman. And, and again, there's the same thing. It's always you see the Superman, the Superman, the Green Lantern, the Green Lantern, the Flash, the Flash, the Hawkman, the Hawkman. So we, there's always those examples. And it just it it just makes no bloody sense at all. And it doesn't it doesn't have to. It's just it, it really is very Haney-esque. It really I, is. I could have done without Citizen Mirth. Um, it just it, – now, he makes a fair point about the parallelism. I mean, when you look at all the characters from Earth 1 to Earth 2, you know, you mentioned a bunch of them right there. They have the same powers. Yes, they, like Jay Garrick and Barry Allen are different identities, but they're still essentially the same powers. The Atoms don't have the same powers. Right. Theirs are very different. That's a fair observation. Now, if you really want to get into the parallelism, though, you can say, well, there's no Our Man on Earth 1. You know, there's no Dr. Midnight on Earth 1. You know, you could really get into that. But either way, as far as having parallel, he's right. They're, they have different powers. So, but it is just, I mean, when, when I read it, there was a string of texts I sent Rob with a whole bunch of profanity, which I'm not going to use here, basically WTFing all over the place. Like, what is happening? What the hell? And uh, I honestly felt like, when I read this, I felt like it was an artist error because it, it, if you take out the, the Citizen Mirth panels uh, or Malo if you have to, it, it reads like someone didn't know what Al Pratt's powers were. Because if you <laughs> just look at the art, you could go, you know what? I bet they thought he could shrink. And that's what they told – that's what the artist drew this story was just having him shrink and doing stuff. And then when the writer got it back, if they were doing you know, plot first, he's like, oh, crap. What happened here? I got to write something to make this work. So they found four, pa- you know, they found four panels they could get rid of, and they put in Malo instead. <laughs> and that—that's the only thing that seems to make sense to me. But clearly, Bob had plans for this. But how utterly bizarre! You know, what happened to to Ray Palmer in the other universe? He's accidentally, yeah. you know, causing atomic explosions with his punches at this point. You he know, was, he was like. You going over the phone lines, and then he accidentally turns to normal size and then blows up somebody's phone or something like that. <laughs> Ma Bell goes out of business because yeah. of him. <laughs> I love, I love the idea that Al goes to a dinner with his costume one under his clothes. You know, idea how uncomfortable that has got, complete with cape. Like, that <laughs> well, he complains is about it. He says it's so itchy. comfortable, but more than itchy, that's got to be like wearing two full sets of clothes. And you know, and this is something I never say, and this is something normally Shag would say, but I can't ignore it. Page six. Panel two of the Adam's wife wishing him, a, you know, good luck in his model toy plane. She is stacked. <laughs> like the Library of Congress. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is ridiculous. I mean, it's, I, you know, if I was Al Pratt, I would be like, what the hell am I wasting my time being a superhero for? This is ridiculous. <laughs> She's totally hot. There's no denying yeah. that. Yeah. Now, the sad thing is, um, 
now if you if you jump forward and then with 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 future eyes look back at this story it's actually kind of sad because mary disappears um i can't remember whether she died or just stopped being around but al's single in the future like that uh great mike paraback series adam doesn't have anybody and um also uh you know if you go further along you get to a character like damage i mean they had a son that they thought died oh you know maybe that's when Maybe she died in childbirth. Maybe that's what it was. Oh, jeez. That may have been what they, they retconned. Either way, they had a son that was whisked away that he never even knew uh, survived. And that grew up to be Damage. Okay. So, and, and unfortunately, Damage didn't discover all this until after Al Pratt was already dead. Hmm. So, it's you know, very sad that he didn't get to know his dad. But, you know, when you think about the power set that Damage had, it kind of makes sense. I mean, we all thought he was the son of the human bomb for a long time. But then you find out it's Al Pratt with a lot of other genetic alterations mixed in but um so with future eyes it gets kind of like mm-hmm. but anyway just to completely hoke i mean it, the story's worth it alone to see him flying around on the little toy plane i mean it's do you remember the show the littles i've heard of it but i never saw it okay we, we used to watch it when i was a kid and then my daughter really got into the got into it when it was on netflix and stuff and it's just like it's like the littles flying around in a toy plane you know woo, like not a care in the world that you know for us, you know, he's probably, I don't know, 200 feet up in the air. And for a little guy, you know, that's like a lot farther. If you were to accidentally fall, he'd just die, break his neck or something. And it's, you know, who cares? Just crack me up. I could hear like goofy plinky music going on in the background. But anyway, it's a real hoot. I enjoyed it. It was fun. The art, not so great. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's some good panel. Like I, I like the panel where he comes into his house and it's been attacked. It's sort of at a skew. Not a tab, but burglarized. You know, the, the panel's mm-hmm. a little bit at a skew. He's in an action pose. You know, the guy swings the bag and, uh, and pastes at the Adam one. I mean, the Adam looks great in the costume and stuff. Um, the dog looks like it's taking a poo, though. Anyway, um, and we agree the wife was hot. So, I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, Vince Coletta has a reputation for, you know, not doing the best work over people's pencils. I, I don't know that we really lost a lot in here. I don't know, based on what we saw in the previous issue. Um, but, you know, like even the water, there's a lot of inking going on in the water, and that looks great, you know. So it, 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 it's okay. It's it's standard fair art. You know, by 1980s term, standards, art had gotten a lot better than this. But, you know, it, it's fine. It's it's very standard superhero-y type stuff. Yeah, I, I guess. It's probably a little, be- a little better than the Dr. Midnight app. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I... To me, Vince Coletta and Joe Geller are my, two of my least favorite comic characters. Here they are right in a row. Mm-hmm. So it was just a little like, oof, this is kind of a rough couple of months for the DC Comics. Coming off the heels of, the, again, the Johnny Thunder one by Gil Kane, which you and I just completely fell in love with. So, oh, my gosh, yes. You know. Uh, but again, this story, I mean, I never read this story before until we did it for this episode. And, you know, I'm just reading it. I'm like, okay, the Dr. Midnight one wasn't bad, but it was fairly standard you know and whatever and i'm reading this and reading page two i'm like page three i'm like it's pretty standard and then wait what you know like what the hell just happened you know i also like the fact that the adam and his wife are not sufficiently older even though they fought in like around Mm. world war ii and this is 1981 this is 40 years later so they have to be in minimum in their 60s but they look like they're 25 ian kirkle well, but that hadn't been established. I, well, I guess you could say so. retroactively they happened. So. Well, yeah. Now, um, but you know, probably the most interesting. You know, if you really step back from it, the, the plot doesn't. I mean, well, obviously, the plot doesn't make sense. But it's even though it's a fun, sort of goofy, Haney sort of story to read, it's probably not the right story to tell. 
if you're doing a whatever happened to story and you're trying to like reintroduce the character to people, right? Yeah, having yeah. the character have a completely different set of powers, un, yeah. you know, unexplainable, un, inexplicably, doesn't really make a lot of sense. So it's it's probably a miss all the way around, but it's still fun. Yeah. You know, if you love Haney, it's fun. And you were talking about the art. Now, honestly, if you were to read this uh, whole DC Comics Presents issue with the front story of Superman and Black Canary, I mean, the art there is Kurt Swan and Vince Coletta. So yeah. by the time you get to the back, you know, you're you're okay. You're probably not going to be too jarring of a change. But you are going to be like this Rich Buckler cover, and this is what you get inside? Really? What about talking about a bait and switch? Yeah. The Rich Buckler cover is by far the most dynamic thing in this in this book. I love everything he does. Yeah. It's so good. So, anyway, well, I think we've uh, sufficiently covered these and we had fun. I mean, hey, if you're a JSA fan like me, they're a, they're a hoot. So, the Dr. Midnight one is, 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 is a straightforward fun one. This one's just nutty, nutty, nutty fruitcake. So, anyway, Rob, why don't you tell folks where they can uh, email us their thoughts on these two stories or ones that they're looking forward to. Uh, their email address, and then tell them where the Tumblr is, where they can find some panels from these issues. Uh, yes, email is firewaterpodcast.net, and the Tumblr is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Woohoo! And folks, you can find me, because uh, I'm more important than Rob, so I'm going to go first, at firestormfan.com. You can find me on the social medias under the same handle, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr. And you can find Rob and his little site about the guy who talks to fish at aquamanshrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle, because he fears the power of Google+. <laughs> that I do. <laughs> yep. So I, I actually don't know who's in issues 31 and 32, uh, and it'll probably be a couple months till we get to it, but I'm looking forward to more of these. Yeah, I purposely don't read ahead. I wait until we're ready to do the next episode, and then I read them. I think there's, yep. there's sort of a fun aspect to it. So I hope cool. Mallow comes back. Oh, that would be great. I, I would love if Mallow came back and upset the cosmic balance in a story where I want to learn about a character. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right, folks. Uh, until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave, and kiss the mallet. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, in air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! The DC Universe Classics Dr. Midnight. This is one of the figures that I think maybe three and a half people bought. Nobody bought this figure. It was a shelf warmer, at least, or a peg warmer around here uh, for forever. Uh, it's actually a decent figure. It's just a character that probably most people don't know or care about, and it's not generally appealing to people walking down the toy aisle.